Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the lonely interim break at Bethel University. <laughs> it's a ghost it, town. <laughs> it's election shock Academy. therapy. <laughs> coming in low, guys. Coming in smooth. Ooh. Coming in quiet. Is this our build up to Iowa? Or was we start real low and then work our way up? Oh, we're we're gonna build up from here. Build up. All right, all yeah. right. You know, I've been thinking you about. It, I usually come. try and come in a little bit hot on these. On and we the, never the met you. <laughs> never ever, not even once. And yet, one our, extrovert. Our uh, our podcast name is Election Shock Therapy. So I just want people to know we're oh, here for you. Like a therapeutic vibe. We're here, yeah, we're here to, cons- to to kind of get you through this next year of electoral season. So you're going um, more the therapy route instead of your usual shock route. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we're here for. Um, we're here shock we're, therapy. <laughs> Election, election shock therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's just this in the car on the way here. Election shock therapy. <laughs> e election shock therapy. Okay. Okay. I'm joined today by Andy Ramson, Matt Cookham, and Sam Mulberry, and I am the host of Tweet Victory. And we are joined also by Annie Berglund. I'm here is that for the lols. A- is that Annie underscore Berglund? It is at Annie underscore Berglund. Follow me for all your political commentary. Oh. And Annie, uh, you are off on uh, a trip to what to uh, one of my favorite places on earth. Where are you going? Columbus, Ohio. Yes, Ooh. yes, God's country. Oh, <laughs> well, I I go that at, at least Woody Hayes' country. Yeah. There you go. I don't know; those things are distinct to Woody Hayes' mind. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. No. What are you going to Columbus for? I am going to be interviewing a cruelty-free vegan salon, which are wow. rare. Um, so that'll be fun. It's not just for fun. It's for a podcast called Seeing Animals that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks for my class on animal ethics. So, Very cool. Yeah, Stay tuned. putting in a plug. Yep. Give <laughs> it a listen. On this channel for our listeners? Yes? No, it's, it's on, on a its different own. channel. Oh, Ooh, its own channel. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. You have to actually leave channel thirty nine hundred. Fancy. Oh. I'm sure there'll be some crossovers. Yeah, some we'll point. we'll make sure we make we make sure we publicize right this. now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Wait, can you hang out with us for for a little oh, bit? I'll be here. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So, uh, you are in a past life a Minnesota Senate staffer. Yes. Yes, I am. Do you, you, uh, do you want me to speak to that? Or? <laughs> are you, um, I don't know how much I can say. Are, does that mean, are you still really following uh, the primary season? Are you getting excited for Iowa? You know, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> just it was wildly unconvincing. <laughs> I was She's also going with, with the, the therapy, therapy theme. Vibe. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. thank you. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, here. I guess I get, you know, my Twitter, I do follow a lot of people who, who work at the Senate. So I get mm-hmm. like that taste. But um, as far as this podcast, probably can't really contribute much. So I'm here to listen and to laugh. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, well, since we're talking just a little bit about Iowa, let's let's go to that first, and then we'll sure. swing back around to D.C. Yeah. So we're only a few days away from uh, from from the Iowa caucuses now. This is as we talked yeah, about Monday. extensively last time. This is the first uh, of the primaries in the um, uh, in the country. It will be a huge narrative, mm-hmm. and right now it's kind of a toss up. Right, so um, I'm just just give the rundown here real quick um, on Real Clear Politics, which aggregates polls. Right, 
Uh, Bernie Sanders is at 23.8%. These are people in Iowa who have expressed mm-hmm. interest in voting for this candidate, right? He's at 23.8%. Biden's at 20.2%. Buttigieg is at 15.8%. Warren's at 14.6%. Klobuchar is at 96 mm-hmm. And then there's a little bit of a drop-off. Yang is at 38 Steyer's at 36 Um and uh, there's a few more down in that kind of that range as well, um, including some candidates who've now said they're no longer running for president. Um, nice. This is basically almost a th- four and a half way coin flip, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 I mean, Bernie's been surging in the polls in recent days, but as we talked about last time, there's some concerns about like, what is, you know, do his people all turn out? I mean, they seem very enthused. He also realized in younger voters who are less reliable. So it's really close. I mean, 538's article this morning had, you know, Bernie with a 37% chance of winning and Biden with 35. So pretty tight between those two. It's a pretty pretty big drop off, drop off after them, but all of them, the next three seem to have at least some shot. I mean, they're, they're strong enough. And one of the things they were pointing out in that article too is that you know, polls in Iowa have been very, like, you know, they've been a mixed bag, right? Sometimes they've been very accurate, they've been right on, and sometimes they've worn relatively little relationship to what actually turned out. Um, so, for example, in 04, I mean, you know, John Kerry was back in the pack. It looked like Howard Dean was going to win and Richard Gephardt was going to be right behind him. And it turned out that they both tanked and Kerry and Edwards finished 1-2, right? So mm-hmm. who knows? And this feels like that kind of volatile race where it could easily swing mm-hmm. kind of wildly in the last few days. Or it could look like the polls. Yeah, and it's hard to say, right? I yeah. mean, it's it's difficult to um, poll what's going to happen in a in a caucus, yeah. right? Because um, for people to actually participate in a caucus, it requires a lot more commitment. You're not just showing up, checking a few boxes, and walking out the door. You're there for the duration yeah. of the evening, right? And you have to show up, and you end yep. up, you know, in a room with your your neighbors, other people in your precinct, and you you're there for you know potentially an hour or two mm-hmm. debating, talking with each other. And uh, and and also, it, you know, in Iowa, there's this yeah. this rule that says um, if your candidate doesn't reach a 15 percent threshold in your particular precinct, um, that candidate is no longer viable, and then you get to switch to some other supporting some other candidate. And so it's going to and so what's important is not only people's first choice, but people's second choice. So if Warren um, or Buttigieg, Buttigieg um, or Buttigieg. yeah, I know it's a mouthful. <laughs> Um, um, or Klobuchar, for example, if they don't get that fifteen per- right. to that fifteen percent threshold in mm-hmm. some of these precincts, uh, the question is who's the second choice for these people, right. and right. that could right. have a major yep. impact on the race. And you just can't um, suss that out um, with polls. If if Warren ends up regularly getting below that fifteen percent threshold, it could mean that a bunch of Warren supporters end up going to Biden. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think what's most interesting to me out of any of these um, outcomes is two things. One is how the media interprets this. As we already said in our last right. podcast, right. Iowa's going to report more information than they have in the past. Yeah. They're going to report people's first choices and then the final vote tally as well. And I think that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. I you see how that gets framed in the media yeah. as well as by campaigns. But also then the people who give big – write big checks for Democratic mm-hmm. yep. uh, candidates are are pretty astute. And right. how they use this information to interpret their giving. I'll be interested to see what donation yep. numbers look like right after this. If, if Sanders wins, does he get a – a big bump in small donors. Right. If um, if Warren finishes fourth or even fifth, 
does she uh, really see a drop off in, in mm-hmm. donations? Um, some of these some of these campaigns put a lot of money into Iowa, and they're counting on more money coming in after Iowa. So I think the 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 cash flow could be an mm-hmm. issue for a couple of these races. And yeah, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but I the the Democratic caucuses primaries are not winner take all, correct? Right. So correct. Those, so so. Yeah. Does I mean the presumably the margins matter then like like yep. if so yep. somebody could win but really not win by much right. so in terms of actual delegates but does the narrative even if it's that close does it still is there still the narrative that this person won even though yeah. or, or or is it does it ever come out where we just sort of feel like oh I was just kind of a wash because mm-hmm. it was so if you get two or three candidates that are bunched up together within a seven or eight point spread you could get that kind of narrative coming out okay. that it was yeah. all all tied up together. And I think expectations are just so important. I mean, like, where do you expect people to finish? So, for example, the fact that Bernie's surging is good for him in one sense, right? But bad in another, right? In the sense that his expectations have just risen, right? And that of the media for him have risen, right? And so if he doesn't win Iowa at this point with when he's leading the polls by, you know, a decent average. I mean, it's still within the margin of error with Biden, but it's close, right? Um, I think that becomes interpreted as that's really disappointing, right? Um, and that could have could have ramifications for him. On the other hand, if Warren, who seems to really be fading, somehow manages a better finish than expected, say a strong third even, right? I think that might actually reinvigorate her a little bit. Um, on the other hand, if she tanks to fifth, I mean, I think there, people are going to start wondering, does she get out, right? Yeah. Um, and to me, she feels like one of the candidates who's most on the ropes. I mean, she's really faded. Um, and, you know, it, the problem for her is that the, is who's rising, which is the other person in her lane, right? And it's becoming clear that, like, the, the really progressive wing is more with Sanders than with her. And the more that continues, the harder it becomes for her to really make it. And has he, as he's risen, she's fallen. So yep. he's basically taking it's supporters directly from her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. That's where the big movement's happening in the race is between those two. What is our time gap between Iowa and New Hampshire? Eight days. Oh, so it's really just a, just yep. a week. So right. there's, there's yeah. not – is there – is there much time for the effects of Iowa, even the narrative out of Iowa, to actually really affect New Hampshire? Or the conventional of... wisdom is that uh, both of these states view themselves very independently yeah. and don't like to be influenced by national trends or each other. But <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> well, I, I would just add, like New Hampshire can be a little contrarian too. Sometimes, like sometimes, almost that like they want to go with somebody not. That was not from Iowa. So it's not unusual for candidates to win both. But it's also not at all unusual for New Hampshire to go in a different direction. So, but so, Sanders right now is like, looks really strong in, in New Hampshire. So I would say if he loses Iowa, he probably still pulls that off. It would be interesting if he wins Iowa, if New Hampshire wants to say, do we want to give Warren a shot or somebody else, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Well, and we were talking before uh, on air like that, that because of its proximity to Minnesota, that Klobuchar yeah. has yep. a, a bigger right. chance right. in Iowa – um, let's say that the I think you said it was a three percent chance, yep. right? A uh, five thirty eight has it. Wait, what was what was the analogy there? I love. Well, yeah, this. so five thirty eight <laughs> is you know ranking the different candidates' chances. Said Klobuchar is about a three percent chance, which sounds low, but they say you know it doesn't sound as bad when you think like this is as likely as it is on any given pass in his career that Brett Favre would throw an interception. And to all of us who ever watched Brett Favre, you're like, oh, yeah, that feels like it could happen. <laughs> time, like right? So so <laughs> let's say that that three percent happened and yep. she were to win Iowa. How long would it take for that narrative to actually have an impact? So, like, if we're yeah. saying, well, yeah. New Hampshire is probably going to be New Hampshire, then is it is it South Carolina, next? Nevada, 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 South Carolina? Okay, like, like would yeah. we see in those if there was any kind of bump that she got yeah. out of winning Iowa? Like, was that where we'd be looking to see if that was a, a one-off or if that had any kind of legs? 
Yeah, it's a it's a good question because the thing for for her that's challenging too is it doesn't seem like she's an obvious fit for the next states, right? Um, I think what Iowa buys her is a ticket to Super Tuesday, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think she gets to stay in the race till Super Tuesday when Minnesota votes and see, you know, kind of what else good could happen for her. Um, but it's, I'll, I'll be interested to see, like, does she rise that much in places like New Hampshire and South Carolina? Because she just doesn't seem like a an obvious fit. I mean, the, right, the but you would show was, yourself that you were yeah. that you actually were a winner at right, that point. Right, I mean, right. so like that would give you something. I and the way think. she does is if if she can manage to sort of persuade Biden voters to start switching, right? I mean, that's right. you know, if you can get a like Klobuchar doing to Biden what Sanders is doing to Warren right now, that would get interesting really fast. Yeah, right? but getting have Warren being able to peel off Biden voters yeah. seems at this point rather improbable because a lot of Biden yep. support um, comes yeah. from moderates and from right. people who just prioritize yeah. well, right, for sure. well, um, yeah. the Democratic candidate, whoever it is beating Trump and the perception right. that right. Biden is far more electable. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. her being able to right. peel off votes successfully right. from the Biden camp, I think, is less likely. Yeah, less likely. Klobuchar or Buttigieg couldn't, if they can finish strong, I think they, that, that becomes more sure. probable because they, they're more you know, seen in the same kind of position as Biden. Listeners, one narrative to keep pay attention to as these primaries begin to kick off is how these candidates report their competitiveness vis-a-vis Trump. Uh, Sanders does the best nationally. And so Sanders' uh, head-to-head matchup at a national polling level with Trump is quite strong. He's beating Trump Mm -hmm. by five or six points. Um, But Biden is doing the best in battleground states. Yep. Uh, uh, Sanders is only beating Trump in one of the closest states in the 2016 election, mm-hmm. whereas Biden is close but beating him in most of those battleground states. Yep. So that they're going to be discussing alternative narratives of what electability means even as they yeah. move forward here. Right. I mean, an interesting thing about those polls is they're not necessarily – all that predictive of actual November outcomes. Oh no, it's way what, too early. What's way What's early. interesting is that the polls are part of this this loop, right? Yep. Um, in which yep. people, you know, have a perception of who is most electable, um, and that basically weighs into their calculus of who they support. Mm-hmm. And then pollsters ask them, "Who do you support?" Um, and then that affects like the the polling matchups, and and then and then the polling matchups are then. Turn around and use to talk about the electability of a candidate, or excuse, the viability of a candidate vis-a-vis the incumbent, right? And so it's this, it's this interesting sort of mm-hmm. feedback loop that you get. So how will yeah. you guys be watching Iowa caucus night? Like, like, um, because I presume this is a slow Big process. Big popcorn, where these, maybe. Some well, but but I mean, like, like, like if strong beverage. I, I, I'm I'm asking this as again uh, uninformed Coffee in terms of some of this stuff, but like. I presume we talked about the process on the last episode that this is a slow process of these mm-hmm. results trickling in. Like, yeah. uh, is this the kind of thing where we won't know till the next morning? Is this the kind of thing? I, I just actually it don't know. It could be. I mean, sometimes if it's really, really close, it can – like that kind of happened in um, – was it 12 with Santorum yeah. and Romney? Yeah, exactly. Was a complete nail-biter. Um, but probably late in the evening, we should have some. Okay. I mean, like what? What time? Like honestly, like even I don't remember. If, in, unless it's very like close, it's like, we should know something by eleven. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. But if uh, if it's close, yeah. go to bed. Sure. You'll find out the morning. When do you think we'll hear? Well, <laughs> you will. When worry. will we hear the first? Because I mean, do we do we hear it in chunks? Like, oh, this precinct or this I mean, does it happen like that or these delegates have gone or is that not how it works i think or? they just show you like like a normal election where you know like as they report they still it's, yeah precinct reporting it. okay yeah mm-hmm. yep 
Um, so when would we hear the? Because I mean, obviously, it's not like the polls close at eight, right? Because they're this is happening in the evening, right? right? So like, yeah. when would you? When would we likely start to hear the first news coming out of Iowa? I really don't That's remember last year. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, okay, maybe we should yeah, get some political yeah. scientists in here. I would think you'd start to hear some projections. There'll be some exit polling, yeah, uh, which I would not think is highly reliable, but you'll start to hear that around, around eight or nine. Okay, I know. I, well, exit polling in the caucus. You know, I'm mostly trying to plan my evening for like when should I start paying attention. Just, so you know, I, yeah. I think you should do what you normally do, which is go to bed early, okay. get up early. By like then, they should have some okay. stuff yeah. for you, and then you can get excited in the morning. Exactly. Instead of getting all wound up before bed, <laughs> yeah. Just get a good night's rest. Yeah. That's my advice. Can I, <laughs> this uh, is sticking with our therapy theme, right? This is what's best for your your whole person wellness <laughs> before we leave lovely des moines and head towards washington dc i do want to ask uh you guys one more question here sure. which is there are a handful a six-pack if you will of <laughs> candidates who are in this competition for presidency for no discernible reason i'm not talking about sanders biden Buttigieg, warren even klobuchar i'm also not talking about michael bloomberg right. who is developing a very different strategy <laughs> Um, which is basically ignoring the first couple of yeah. states and then really gunning for Super Tuesday. Yep. Yep. I am talking about people like Andrew Yang, Tom Steyer, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, there's a f- there are a few more Michael pe- Bennett. Michael Bennett, <laughs> <My> favorite. Who? <laughs> uh, exactly. exactly. Um, I love talking about Michael Bennett. <laughs> if only to remind people, he is exists. there a strategic? <laughs> These people are smart. That's why people, he's running, right? Yeah. The reason they're able to run for president in the first place is because they have made smart political choices over the course of their careers. Uh-huh. Well, some of them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's true of Tom Steyer and Andrew Yang. But smart sure. economic They were smart enough to get economic into positions sure. where they could yeah, yeah. run for president. Sure, sure. Fair. What are they still doing here? Well, I think, I mean, I'm not. it's not clear with Michael Bennett what he's doing. I think he's embarrassing himself and he needs to. I, I think it I mean, he's, he's going to get a three-letter word called ego. You know, ego is huge. Sense. But I think with some of them, I mean, Gabbard's a contrarian. She wants to be a different voice. There's some people who are, you know, she's resonating with. She doesn't. She's not running for re-election of the House, so why, why not, right? Um, Yang is a single issue guy, um, and he's touting his issue. And again, he has a group of people who are fans of that. Um, he's not going to win the nomination, and I think he's, you know, sensible enough to know that. But if he makes a splash in some places, does he, do his ideas um, get a hearing, and does he okay. build for a future race? I think I don't think he's embarrassing himself. Um, Bloomberg obviously has this really creative strategy, and Tom Steyer is also like dumping money into the race. And he's been – because if he was trying to get into those um, debates, he dumped money in early um, states that are going. And so he's actually climbed in the polls a little bit. I mean in places like South Carolina and Nevada, he's actually had some decent polling. Um, so I think he wants to stay in and see what he's going to do there. But but yeah, I mean I don't know what – is John Delaney – I think he's still running too, right? Like, I mean, I understand. I'm not sure what he's up to either, right? Um, but yeah, the, the, several of those people I do think have some purpose. They're kind of issue candidates or they're trying to see what the impact of money will be. Okay. Apparently, uh, both Bloomberg and Trump will be, will be running political advertisements in the Super Bowl All this right. upcoming weekend, which is going to be just wow. loads of fun. Wow. Which typically Super Bowl uh, commercials avoid politics, but not this, this year. year. Apparently, there was a poll done of Americans. It turns out most Americans do not want to see political advertisements from either party. The at the Super Bowl. No surprise there. Yeah. They're not going to how, get how, what they want. Yeah. If you were, New York if, has decided. If that. you were advising a um, a political candidate who wanted to run an ad during the Super Bowl, would you go for the funny? Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. You got to go, go for the funny. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do this, it's, 
It better not be like I am the only hope for America, or even Morning America no, again. The Super you're not going to do that. You're not going to pull. You're not going to pull off Morning in America again because that's what what Trump wants to do for yeah. this election. Yeah, uh, yeah. it just yeah. doesn't work. I mean, Super Bowl is such a different venue. Yeah, people want something that's memorable and hilarious. Right? Spuds McKenzie comes back out from the grave and endorses one of the candidates or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah. Let's just say, hopefully, they're actually worth viewing at least for entertainment value. Bloomberg's commercials so far have been such a yawn. <laughs> Which is kind of how Bloomberg is. Such a yawn. Yes. Wow. Like, he's wow. very representative. So. He's a super so boring Which point fellow. in the game would you advise somebody to uh, to ha- run their ad? Which quarter? Early. If I was Trump, I'd go for halftime. Okay. Because that's it's literally halftime of his presidency. He's got he's gonna get four years in. He wants another four years. Hey, the first half was great. Ooh, so you get a tie in there. Yeah, yeah first half was great. Second half's gonna be even better. Yeah, but that that presumes the first half was great. So you better hope it's not like last year's Super Bowl. Made America Bowl, great. Definitely not. America's great. gonna be greater. So. But definitely do it early because if it ends up being you know a crummy game, people right. tune right. out, yeah. or it's a blowout okay. either yeah. direction. I mean, half times you know, I feel like a lot of people go. That's mm-hmm. their time for like bathroom break. Go refresh their beverage. You know, go make that little food that they feel like they need for the second half. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. If that's the optimal time, but <laughs> it is, is a good ad idea, though. I, oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I like the idea. It's, it makes sense. All right. Well, let's let's steer into let's <laughs> speaking see. of the president. <laughs> speaking of the president, let's just do a quick look in on um, the ongoing impeachment saga. Uh, we have um, <sighs> this might be our last podcast. Where it is we have a heavy, a heavy sigh from Doctor Cookham. Uh, Depends on the vote tomorrow. Yeah. What's the vote tomorrow, Dr. Cooper? The vote tomorrow, um, which could be the, the pivotal vote of this um, whole impeachment trial process, is whether or not to call um, any witnesses. Um, and so right. um, I'm sure most of you are aware of, at this point, um, John Bolton's um, content from his book um, made its way to the New York Times in some way. And so there was a leak somewhere, and the New York Shocking. Times didn't publish actual excerpts from the book, but publish general information um, that um, revealed um, Bolton's own perspective on what went down and that yep. and that Trump did explicitly tie the withholding of aid to the Ukraine um, to his desire to get an announcement um, of an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it Assuming the leak is true, um, which there's probably not much of a reason to believe otherwise, assuming it's true, this doesn't add any completely new information. It basically would provide a confirmation from a firsthand witness to things that we've um, had good reason to suspect, given the other witnesses that have testified so far that did not have firsthand firsthand witness of what happened, but had a sense of what was going on. And so this would be a confirmation of what we already know. if Bolton does testify, there could be some other sort of damning tidbits in there, potentially, mm-hmm. um, that could yeah. um, put Trump's uh, defense team um, more on the defense, perhaps. Um, and so we'll just have to see what happens. Um, there's some indication that the Republicans do have a potentially uh, – will potentially vote – um, as a block against um, calling additional witnesses, but we really won't know for sure until um, tomorrow um, yep. what, what's going to happen. Yep. Seems likely that we don't see witnesses. Um, 
And if that's the case, this wraps up pretty quickly, right? Yep, then it does. Probably done. Right, then there's going to be some concluding arguments from both sides, and, and that's a wrap. Um, yep. However, if they do call um, witnesses, then this could drag out for a very long time because then you have to decide you know, who to call. So do you call mm-hmm. just Bolton? Do you right. call others as well? Um, and there's a debate about that. And yep. do you vote, you know, do you vote yep. for them one at a time? Do you vote for just mm-hmm. opening up mm-hmm. for, you know, a whole block of witnesses? And then you have to decide the procedure. So how right. are you going to depose them? Um, and because that's a long process. And yep. then how is that information from the deposition going to be released to the senators? Right. And then what will the discussion and the cross-examination in public look like after that? So you could, you know, so even if it was just Bolton, this could take another you know, this could take another two weeks if Bolton is called. Mm-hmm. If you add more witnesses, it could right. take longer. Um, and I think there's probably not a huge appetite um, amongst a lot of senators right. for dragging it out even further. And it's not clear that, I mean, dragging out is going to make any difference. I think that's the, what's interesting to me is that you have, you know, like there's stories about a few Republicans who are like, maybe we should call witnesses. Um, and there's a few <clears throat> Democrats who are debating, you know, should we perhaps vote to acquit, Right. Um, but it's a handful. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about like three Democrats they were mentioning who might vote to acquit. We're talking about four Republicans who were talking about maybe we should call witnesses. I mean, this is nowhere near enough to swing the actual final result. No. Right? Uh-uh. Um, and it's just not clear that there, in any scenario, there's enough people who are actually thinking, you know, about voting against their kind of self-interest, frankly, and um, their parties kind of line um, on this on this issue. So, you know, in that sense, I mean, there, you know, there's some advantage to it wrapping up, but, but you know. Yeah. If they call witnesses, it'll probably drag on, and then we'll probably get a very similar result to what we get. Yeah, the thing is, there are you know some Republican senators who are um, you know moderate or potentially vulnerable um, that might yeah. have some incentive right. to actually call John Bolton because yep. if Bolton, yep. um, you know, if they don't call, if they vote against calling John Bolton as a witness, and John Bolton's book is you know the whole thing is leaked right. or published, right. and there's further damning evidence, then then that gives more ammunition for their Democratic challengers right. to basically say, hey, you weren't interested in the truth. You were you were basically trying to cover up and you weren't you weren't willing to actually let Bolton testify during the impeachment. And it trial. feels like and that's, that, that's, that's a worry what, they're gonna yeah. have. It feels like that's yeah. what Schiff was saying even right. last right. week. Like like yeah. to, to to vote to do this quickly to not to not explore new evidence, new witnesses. Yeah. That then yeah. you are voting for a cover up and that Right. It's creating ads on the other side. for Right. I mean, so yeah. the Democratic um, strategy, again, we've said this um, all along, is not so much to get Trump removed. Right. It is perhaps to damage Trump some, but people who are going to vote for Trump are going to vote for him regardless of, of right. the information that comes out. It's to basically provide ammunition that they can fire at uh, vulnerable Republicans. Right. That's the strategy here. And and the strategy there, the, the message is this is a cover-up. And that, that, oh, that, that comports really closely with um, polling data as well. At Real Clear Politics today has um, America, the American aggregate, American public dead even on removal of Trump from office right. versus uh, retaining him in office. 47.8% for both of them. They've converged. And those are really close to overall um, electoral numbers right. uh, for the president right. as well. So you're not removing a president with those numbers. I mean, do, do they have polls on on calling witnesses? I mean, is that a question that they've polled on? I don't think so. Okay, no, I'd be no. curious. I'd be interested to know even people who because because potentially if you are if you are right. a a yeah, yeah. pro Trump person, you could say, well, he did nothing wrong. Let's let the truth out. Yeah, yeah like I mean, exactly. like. Like that—that that is what Hunter Biden was up to, right? Right. That, well, either way, but that yeah. seems like a like yeah. a 
reasonable yeah. argument you yeah. could you could make. Mm -hmm. Now it may Absolutely. be a politically problematic argument, right. but like, but I mean that's that's what I would be saying if I yeah. was if I was uh, on either side of that, right. right? And be like, well, yeah, yeah, the truth is is the important thing, and this right. is about if I think he's he did nothing wrong, then the truth has no damage. Now I realize that that's not how it works, but but each side has their own truth that they're operating on, that's which is yeah. which is why everyone's trying to figure out yeah. um, is our truth helped by <laughs> having testimony from Certainly. any of a number we're not of witnesses. Change our truth, but is it, does it become harder to sustain? Right. right, depending on what is what is said out there. So one thing I want to come back to the same that you were talking about in pre-production. I think you raised a really important question. I'd be interested to hear, particularly. Sort of Mitch's or Mitch's, my Matt's take on this. I'm going back to last year, um, but Matt's take on um, on kind of the question you were asking. Yeah, so it it seemed like uh, Alan Dershowitz, one of the uh, one of the <laughs> oh, I do want to talk about this. Too. One of the president's lawyers uh, yesterday was making the case, and and fill in if I get yeah. this wrong, um, that any president. Mm -hmm. Ever, anyone running for office thinks that them winning that office is in the best interest of the right. country. Otherwise, why would they run right. for office? Yep. So, a, so a president using his power to do things to help him win an election is therefore, in their minds at least, in the interest of, of, um, of the country. So therefore, that's not something you can – I mean, that's not even an idea you can impeach right. for. So theoretically, I mean, if you – it doesn't take much of a leap to say, well, anything the president does – they think is in the best interest of the country, even if it's in their best interest right. because right. they're seeing that as something that's going to help them. And ultimately, they think them of themselves as something that's good for the country. So therefore, is anything impeachable after that argument? Nothing would be. What even is right. impeachment, man? Yeah. 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 But, I mean, but that's, that's the, that was essentially it's the a, argument, kind of, right? Well, yeah. Yes. So basically, it's a really shoddy argument <laughs> That was designed to address a shoddy argument from the Democratic side because the Democrats, their primary um, argument, and Adam Schiff has been saying this, is that Trump needs to be impeached because he had corrupt motive. Um, and the trick is – and because he wanted to do this for political advantage um, and that – Therefore, that's corrupt. Therefore, um, this is, you know, mm -hmm. when you tie it to some sort of abuse of power, this warrants um, or calls for impeachment. Right. Um, the difficulty is how do you suss out um, what is and what is not corrupt? Everything politicians do it, ostensibly is for some sort of political gain. Um, the question is whether or not there was some other sort of non-political policy-based um, motivation that also mm -hmm. attended that decision. Um, and so I think the Democrats made, Adam Schiff was, was making a pretty terrible argument, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Allen followed up with his own equally <laughs> bad <laughs> argument overall. I mean, because it's hard, right? I mean, because every, every politician does things for gain. Sure. Um, the question is whether or not um, the, the actions that they did were themselves an abuse of power. You actually have to look at the actions themselves right, right at right, the end right. of the day to assess whether or not it was an abuse um, that warrants an actual removal from office. Right. But by Dershowitz's yeah. argument, yeah, like it, it seems like why bother to call witnesses? It doesn't right. matter, right? Even if Bolton comes out and says, I was standing there, the president said, right, this is attached to this. We have a recording of it, right? It doesn't matter ultimately because while he's doing it, he thinks this is in the best interest yeah, so did of Hitler, himself, right? which is a, a, yeah. you know, which is equated <laughs> to the best interest of the United States. 
And then by that definition, I mean, like, impeachment's irrelevant, right. right? Like, we would never impeach a president for cause because there would never be a cause because his cause is always the same as the country's, right? Um, and you kind of equate those those two. Um, that's really problematic because I think, you know, I do think impeachment is important to hold presidents accountable to the laws, right? There are, there are standards even for a person in power, and really in some ways particularly for a person in power, uh, precisely because they can impact people in a way that, you know, average people like the five of us in this room cannot, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of sort of, you know, counter examples like, you know, what what if we looked at the really terrible decisions presidents have made in the past 70 years um, for political reasons um, that maybe were, were within their purview as commander in chief or what yeah. have you, yeah. but ended up causing right. major problems um, for the United States and around the world. You know, how LBJ, for example, lied to the American mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and got the U.S. into the Vietnam War, mainly for domestic political reasons. But isn't, isn't even that, though, like a problematic argument? Because then it's like saying, well, if we didn't get it right in the past, then we can't bother no, to get I, it right now. Right. No, I mean, I'm saying, yep. yeah, I'm saying all of these presidents probably sure. yeah. should have been impeached, right. you know, for, for these reasons. Right. This isn't to give Trump a pass. This is to say that, um, you know, if we're going to have the standard, um, yeah. you know, we, we, should, we should try to be as honest as we can be about all of the presidents, regardless of their yeah. political party and the sorts yeah. of things mm-hmm. that they have done for their own political benefit that have right. also been either an abuse of power or created um, serious, serious uh, policy problems mm-hmm. for the United States and around the world. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I would love to see impeachment honestly be a lower bar, right? I would love to see it mm-hmm. be more like um, a, you know, moment where you say, like, this person no longer um, has the respect to lead the nation, right? And so, you know, I would have liked to have seen Bill Clinton impeached in the 90s because I think perjuring yourself is tremendously important, even if it's, you know, for this personal case, right? Well, you like, mean I removed, mean, right? Because he well, was yeah, impeached. Yeah, removed, okay. right. right? Sorry. I mean, I'm falling to the popular thing. Thanks right. for noting that, right? So impeached and removed, right? And I would love to see Trump impeached and removed for that same reason, right? Because I think that this is damaging to the office of president, right? And that's not, I mean, about the politics of those two as much as saying, look, there are standards of law, right? And the president should be held accountable. And this is why we elect a vice president, right? I mean, you can have Al Gore and Mike Pence sub in. Are they both uninspiring figures? Yes, right? Um, (laughs) Could they both manage the presidency with competence for the remainder of that term? Yes, right? Um, That's why we have them there, right? That's that's what that, that office exists for. Um, and I think it would be good to to do that. So, I mean, a comparative example, right? I mean, like in Latin America, right, in the, the 90s, this is one of the ways they got out of their problem of military takeovers, right, in these new democracies is they, um, you know, they said you know, in the past when the, when the situation got to be a crisis, right, no one knew what to do in the democratic system and so it would fall, right, and the, to, to a military takeover. The military would say, this is untenable, we're going to step in. Now, thankfully, in, in the U.S., we have a, a system where we don't ever have the military doing that. That's a really good thing. But But one of the ways they got out of that in Latin America was they said, you know what? Let's start using this impeachment mechanism, right? We have it when the president can't function anymore, remove that person from power, right? And replace him. Um, And they were able to largely get out of this sort of bad cycle of military takeovers. I wonder if sometimes we need to do that here where we need to say, you know what? The president is not sort of above the law. He can't do whatever he wants to and what he perceives in that moment to be the interest of the country. Um, He needs to sometimes be removed. And that serves not only to deal with a particular situation, as in with Clinton or Trump, um, it also serves to say, hey, guys, this is a new game here in terms of how Mm -hmm. we think about the presidency. 
Um, so that's where I'd like to go. Is it going to go there? Absolutely not. Um, that's clearly not where we're at with tribal politics. Yeah, I find this but very interesting. That's the Andy Bramson dream. Yeah. I find this very interesting <laughs> that you are saying really the opposite of what was really a warning that was uh, offered yeah. by Trump's defense, which is yeah. that if this is if this carries forward. Yeah. This will be a lowering of the bar for impeachment, Excellent. and this is a pro- <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I I do think from an IR perspective, we're going to yeah. give that example here. Yeah. making the bar too low and making the, sure. the, the the head of state being too easily removed from yeah. office um, presents problems at international oh, level. Yeah. I um, and I agree with that, but we're nowhere near too low. Yeah. I mean, we're like we we literally have never removed a president from office in what two hundred thirty plus years. Right. Now, right? So. Um, we could lower it and still be pretty high, I think. Um, yeah, it'd be a way for Congress to reassert yeah. um, its power, yeah. which it yeah, has which willingly I, given up. Over which the past it has willingly years. given up and has really declined in the last, you know, century yeah. and particularly the last probably eighty yeah. years. So. Mm-hmm. Although I would say, I mean, if we're going to have it, if we're going to, if we're thinking sort of constitutional design, if you want to find a way to strengthen the impeachment mechanism or to lower mm-hmm. the bar, then. And if Congress wants to take on that responsibility, then it it should also be willing to take on more of the responsibility to actually, you know, pass yeah. laws and be involved yeah. in their implementation and not see Absolutely. that see that power yeah. to the to the right. to the president. Because right. you, you could right. very easily see like, oh, we'd love yeah. to have impeachment power to take out a president, but we don't right. actually want any of the responsibility to right. um, to participate in the lawmaking process ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we'll will have sort of the ultimate yeah. veto over the president, but we will actually won't participate in the process. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you do strengthen that impeachment power, you need a Congress that is on the whole, yeah. um, has more power than the president and is willing to actually exercise that right. power in a responsible fashion. Which is how this government is designed constitutionally, right? It's just not where we're, how it's functioning, right? And it's interesting, like how much people are conceding this. I mean, there was just a story I was looking at this morning um, with Ber- about Bernie Sanders, right? And like one of the things he's debating is like, am I going to just go ahead and start telling people what all the executive orders I'll be issuing to govern? Because of course I'm not going to get this stuff through, right? Um, and that that is that kind of new mm-hmm. reality, mm-hmm. right? And that's really problematic when you look at how the Constitution is supposed to work, right? That's that's not it, right? Um, but you're right. And Congress is, you know, they have only themselves to blame, right? I think for for where they've kind of let themselves be positioned, they have increasingly come to see themselves as lackeys of the president. So we have less of the Kind of what Robert Byrd said. When Robert was one time asked, he was a longtime senator from West Virginia, longest serving senator in U.S. history. He once said, you know, um, he was asked, like, how many presidents have you served under? And he said, I've served alongside, right, however many presidents it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're losing that perspective. I think increasingly congressmen do serve under presidents. Can you think of examples, and they wouldn't they probably wouldn't be U.S. examples, but examples of where governments have <laughs> Like realign. I mean, because you're yeah, talking yeah. about sort of sort of realigning how we think about right. these things, or maybe trying to get back to. Does that ever happen, or is it, or does it, does this crumble and then we rebuild? I mean, like yeah. if we think about historical examples. Well, I mean, I I would go back to like some of the Latin American examples, right? I mean, like one of my the the people who preceded me in the program at Notre Dame wrote his dissertation actually on kind of impeachment in Latin America in the 90s, right? Um, and um, he who's looking at like basically how do you how do you take the system you have and find a way to make it work so that you don't keep falling, you know, prey to the things that brought you down in the past, right? And so that was a situation where they didn't so much change the system as say, hey, let's use this this kind of mechanism to reassert some congressional power. Right, but I'm talking about even in terms of what Matt's saying, too. Like, mm-hmm. it would need to be this other thing. We need to really um, reimagine and maybe yep. go back or, or, or newly imagine how these things are supposed to mm-hmm. function. Like, mm-hmm. how do you get from, from where we are to something like that? 
I think it's, I mean, my take is it's really hard because of the tribal kind of era we're in. Right? Yeah, and, and, and you just and can't touch each other. That and just the development of sort of modern bureaucratized politics, yeah. right? Um, it's really hard for, for, you know, members of Congress, even members of Congress who have been there for years and served on, you know, the same, you know, small set of committees that are over, you know, their you know, favorite policy areas. It's really hard for even them to develop sufficient expertise mm -hmm. and the ability to, to, you know, understand the ins and outs of, you know, a particular law that they're developing and how that's right. going to be implemented on the ground by a vast right. sprawling bureaucracy. And so what you have is you have Congress, you know, because they literally do not have enough time and expertise to actually overcome that problem. Yep. They give that power over to the executive branch and they write these guidelines. Hey, we have these policy goals. Here's some rough guidelines. You yep. go figure out the actual laws that are going to be implemented on the ground to make this happen. That gives the executive branch a lot of power right. and that gives the president a lot more power, a lot more room to maneuver to mm -hmm. actually issue executive orders to the various aspects or parts of the executive branch to carry out guidelines. The, yeah, guidelines yeah. Um, rather than rules, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, sorry. Captain Jack. Yeah, but <laughs> anyway, so so I mean, I think the 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 way I mean, not only the polarization yeah. that we have, but also right. the the modern system of bureaucratized governance is also. Mm -hmm is also a factor here. I mean, so that's why you see other parts of the world, you see uh, legislatures actually don't have even less power than Congress by design. They're simply there yeah. to simply rubber stamp um, the proposals of the executive branch, right? Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of times is not even separate from the legislature. The legislature right. basically forms the executive. The executive has a mandate to right. implement policies right. that are then sort of rubber stamped by the legislature. Right. And then it's the bureaucracy that actually goes and carries them out on the ground. So even if you had less polarization, I, it would be hard to imagine a scenario in which Congress would actually be able to step in and take some of this power just because the, the burdens on them would still yeah. be so high. I think that's right. And I think the other thing I would just add is like because of the way the world has changed, right? I mean, like when I, we talk about how Congress has lost power in the last you know, century, I mean, one of the things is just the, the world has become much more interconnected. The issues have become much more complicated for that reason, too. Um, and so this often requires kind of this more decisive, you know, like leadership at the top. And it's harder for a kind of diffused body of, you know, 535 members of Congress, right, to manage that, right? It's easier mm -hmm. for presidency. So it's, there's a lot of challenges to Congress retaking it. But yeah. I do think something's been lost in kind of centralizing more power in the executive. And certainly if we don't hold the executive accountable. Right. But I mean, this is not, uh, you know, a, a new a new thing, no. right? Woodrow no. Wilson, back in the, the beginning of the 20th century, talked about the need for a bureaucratized, modern, right. you know, scientific, so to speak, right. government, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure he was uh, fully honest about the pitfalls of that, but he did say this is what we're, this is what we need to move towards, right? right. As part of the progressive movement. And, and that's yep. what we've seen uh, yep. over the past century. Absolutely. Well, guys. Brexit, anyone? Do, do you want to do Brexit? Oh, let's just. We should, Andy, we should mention Andy, it. Andy, what do you want to say about Brexit? Well, it's happening. <laughs> That's the first thing I think. Um, if I had told you in 2016, Professor Bramson, yes, that Brexit would happen, it would happen reasonably orderly, and it would be done by Boris Johnson, oh, would you have my head checked? Yeah, I would have been like, <laughs> wow, really? Okay. Um, and think of it. If, if you had, if you had projected that. Yeah. 
you could leave Bethel and make so much money for like your, your prognosticating. <laughs> well, I'm no good so. at prognosticating. That's yeah. one thing we've definitely established over the years. Uh, so, <laughs> so the short version is um, Brexit is happening tomorrow, January 31st on Let's unscheduled. get ready to Brexit. Yeah, get your party ready. Um, <laughs> so, um, but it's not actually, like tomorrow is actually not all that significant as it turns out. <laughs> Um, because they've negotiated a transitional period, which will last till the end of 2020. So December 31st, 2020 is really the date you should be keeping an eye on. Um, because most stuff for average people is going to stay the same. So like travel in Europe, um, things like that, right? The you know international rules of the game, right, are actually going to stay pretty much the same. Um, there'll still be some connection to the European Court of Justice's final um, Court of Appeals for this year. Um, so there's there's those kind of like connections that are ongoing. I mean, you know, certainly Britain won't have representatives in European Parliament after tomorrow, um, but there's not a lot of big changes. So they still have to negotiate a trade deal and kind of how are we handling borders, how are we handling travel, stuff like that. Um, all that is kind of the task for 2020. So kind of we're at a stay tuned moment, right? Like we got to see, you know, what do Boris Johnson and the EU leaders figure out in the next year? Um, in, you know, December 31st, 2020 is when you could actually have a hard leave, right? Not just mm. Brexit, but actually kind of breaking um, if they don't figure out a good way to, to do deals. The other thing that I think changes after tomorrow, right, is that, um, you know, the UK can negotiate separate trade deals. So they can talk yeah. to the US, they can talk to Australia and start saying, okay, let's, we want to make a deal with you as opposed to doing it as part of the EU. That, that process starts. Um, and so we'll sort of see how that goes with Trump and Boris Johnson, who've been, you know, um, pretty, pretty favorable toward each other in, mm. on the whole. Um, what kind of deal do they work on? Although, if you're paying attention to international news, there is a recent dust-up yes. over Huawei. Yes. Yes. Um, right. And uh, yes. the short version of the this romance may be struggling. Uh, <laughs> the United States has taken a very strong stand against Huawei, which they see as basically a corporate arm of the Chinese Communist Party, and which is rolling out 5G technology for telecommunications that they think the Chinese government will essentially use for espionage. The British government... And they may not be wrong. I can actually believe um, it. I'm like, yeah, that's probably And true. <laughs> the British government has made the choice to actually invest in a lot of Huawei materials um, for their 5G network. And yep. this was a formal parliamentary vote, and the American government has criticized it heavily yep. and yep. has threatened under the Trump administration. Uh, Britain has a very privileged status along with five other countries, four other countries, um, to. Um, uh, to share intelligence with the United States. And we've sort of threatened that we might pull back some of our intelligence offerings to the British because of yeah. their use of this Huawei technology. Right. We might be yeah. concerned about it being compromised, which yep. seems legit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, news with this. I mean, China is out there compromising everyone they can. News of the, you know, the chair of the chemistry department at Harvard um, was being paid um, large, large sums uh, by the Chinese oh. to um, basically um, give up. Right. Proprietary information hmm. um, hmm. that would not be not the useful. chair of Bethel's chemistry department. No, so not not that. that. But yeah, but a world-renowned scholar, Adam Wade, yeah. right. Rollin, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Give Rollin the stink. Oh, Rollin, sorry. <laughs> like, are, you, but, uh, are you on the funding of the Chinese government? <laughs> so I mean, even though I mean the the details of how Brexit is going to sort of you know play out on the ground with you know trade deals and borders and all that. I mean, I would I would push back a little bit in that. I mean, this is a pretty Pretty important moment. Oh, sure. Um, and I, I symbolically. agree. Symbolically. Well, I mean, not only symbolically, but almost substantively as well. I mean, you have you have a you know a very important nation state pulling out of yeah. a sure. agreement or a, a union confederation of sorts that stronger than the confederation that has been around for the 
better part of half a century. And they've, you know, and the people within, the majority within um, Great Britain have declared, you know, we want some of our national sovereignty back. Mm -hmm. um, And and we're actually successful in doing so. and the number of times you see that successfully sort of happening um, in in world history um, is relatively few. Sure. So sure. Um, obviously, whether or not this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing in the long run remains to be seen. I think we'll know more this time yeah. next year, as you pointed out. But yeah. but it is a very significant moment, um, not only in, in, in symbolic terms, but I would say in, in substance as well. Sure. I don't disagree with that, except to say, like, I think that already happened in 2016. Like, they voted for that. That was the moment where they, they made that sure. choice. This is, and this is sort of like the, technically the end of that, but that's been coming. It's been a very slow unroll for three, almost three and a half years yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're still waiting for the practical impact of it, right? Sure. Like, in terms of, like, how this impacts you know, what people would do in Europe or Britain, that doesn't actually take place yet, right? right. So I think that's they're kind of getting their cake, but we'll see what it tastes like in December 21st, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Uh, mm. Really. Um, because, you know, we're not sure. Like, rum yeah. Will they all work out and deal with people? Definitely rum raisin. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <in Britain>. Well, <laughs> dare we talk about one more confederacy oh, that's breaking we apart? Dare. We dare. Over my strenuous objections, wow. my colleagues wow. here at Bethel would like to discuss... <laughs> It's Annie. It's Annie. <laughs> it's not Annie. I'm just stand up for her. She doesn't want to do this either. I am against this. There you go. You guys want to talk about Megxit? I don't really want to talk about Megxit. Sure. Yes, you I do. do. Want to talk about, I do want to talk about an issue. You want to talk about Megan versus the Queen? Which team right. are you on? Are you Team uh, Queen or are you queen, Team Megxit? Of course. I'm like. <sighs> I'm a Berkian conservative. Of course, I'm with the Queen. <laughs> yeah, all the way. That's a T-shirt for the for the for the store for us. I'm a Berkian conservative. Of course, I'm with the Queen. Incremental change, man. Stay I would, within the I would buy that T-shirt. I'm pretty sure you don't go so. jetting off to Canada. That's ridiculous. Um, I just, I just <laughs> don't care. Well, I have to do the Canadians, apparently. Yeah, apparently. That's the funny part. Yeah, they're sort of like, whatever. Like, what, we here. have to pay for your security? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's TBD. That's the key of things that need yeah, to be negotiated in 2020. Um, I don't maybe really want to talk about Megxit. this before leaving. Right? Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. Like, maybe talk to the Queen more than 10 minutes before you announce. But, um, hey, we got thought. this website. Okay. But so, make, make the case here, Bramson. Why why should Americans, other than sort of yeah. as tabloid fodder, is there is there a political side yeah, to yeah. the decision by um, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex uh, to withdraw themselves from active royal life? Well, I don't. I don't. I mean, like, yes. I mean, there there is in the sense that it, it could lead to that the kind of active royals becoming a smaller group um, and more slimmed down monarchy. So in that sense, oh like, heavens but, forbid. Yeah, right. Which would not be a bad thing. Which is the way a lot of other monarchies have gone. Um, what I think is more interesting for us to talk about at a political science level is something that this brings up, right? Which okay. is why do you have these people, right? Like these people who are on the dole, <laughs> right? Essentially, um, because their ancestors once upon a time ruled a country. The world's largest welfare recipients, right? I mean, is there a case for this? Right. And I would actually argue there is. Right. I mean, if you think about our own oh. impeachment crisis, right, uh-huh. we can connect these. Um, what Britain does is they separate two functions, head of state and head of government. So oh. Boris Johnson as prime minister is head of government. That means he actually makes governing decisions. He works yeah. with parliament to pass laws, yeah. to implement those, to respond to whatever crises and so forth. Right. Yes. And then you also have the head of state who sort of symbolizes the nation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, who represents them at formal events. Right. And. Um, is someone that people can unite around precisely because they know this person is not 
involved in politics. And in fact, the queen is almost wholly removed from politics. No one really knows what the queen thinks about politics. There's some speculation, right? Um, there's some advantage to that, right? She can be a unifying figure in a way that somebody who has to be in the political trenches cannot. In our own country, we don't have that separation, right? Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is both our head of state and head of government. And so, you know, people either feel passionately enthused, it seems like, right, if they're in his tribe, right, his party, um, or they can't stand seeing the sight of the person and hearing his voice, right? Um, if they're in the other party. And of course, under Barack Obama, you all those people flip-flopped, right, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them just loved hearing him talk and others, you know, had to shut off the TV, right, when he did. And we regularly have these conversations um, about, you need to respect the president. Yeah, right, right. And so, you know, it's very hard in our polarized setting, right, for the president to serve as a unifying figure. Once upon a time, I think we managed that a lot more. Even in my childhood, I remember like people like George H.W. Bush being able to, you know, speak about um, kind of what had happened in Kuwait and, and serve as kind of a unifying figure. And it feels like with the rise in polarization that's changed. So Britain has a certain advantage, I would argue, in separating those. Now, they also have advantage in us. I'm not sure how we could do it well in this country because they have a monarchy that, you know, extends back hundreds of years, right? And so this person actually is descendant of people who used to rule. There's some reason why they're in this position. Um, and over time, they've kind of gradually transitioned to, we're going to keep that as a symbol of the state, but we're going to let elected officials govern. And so they kind of get the, the best of both worlds, in my opinion. Um, we're, I'm not okay. sure we can pull that off. Is although more has an idea, I think. Okay, so I've pitched this idea before. <laughs> I, will just, I will just say, this is my tongue-in-cheek response to my colleagues who yes, care about this. Yes. And oh. they actively hate it. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you just you made the case that the yes. reason why we have the royals we have in Britain right now is because hundreds of years ago, their ancestors ruled the yep. country. Yep. And I would just like to ask you, uh, do you know what your ancestors were doing, any of you, a couple hundred years ago? Farming? I think, I think farming, most likely, yeah. yes. Subsistence level farming, probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you're not probably not wrong. Um, maybe some saints in there, maybe some scoundrels. You don't know. Yep. Uh, I think this, at this point, is a very specious reason to be the head of state. Hmm. Um, but I want to propose a different reason, a uniquely American <laughs> reason. One of the things we, the, the Americans have demonstrated over the course of the last decade and a half is we love popularity contests. American Idol, um, The Voice, uh, The Masked Singer, uh, whatever these shows are, we, we love to vote uh, in contests, right? Um, we pay attention to the Oscars and the Emmys and the Golden Globes and anything yeah, yeah, we can yeah. vote for. Anything we can. How dumb is it to rank movies in terms of goodness? That's just a, like we don't vote for like the best painting of the year. Like this is you're disinvited to my next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I'm just saying we I, we love to vote for stuff. Why not vote for the King and Queen of America? And I, Andy's never heard this before, so I'm bringing you on here as, as, as a more impartial judge of my idea, right. which is that instead of having an aristocracy, which we kind of – we have because we've combined political office with head of states. Yeah. We have yeah. the Bushes and the Clintons and the Trumps, right? right? These are people we invest in sort of this American aristocracy. Yep. Let's get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Let's have our political actors be solely political actors like Boris Johnson, uh, Theresa May, and then mm -hmm. let's leave the head of state to a different person who we will elect annually. Um, and the stipulations will simply be that they must be an American re uh, American resident mm -hmm. and um, that there will be some kind of a nominating process by which six or seven names we put up before the American people um, for their own intrinsic goodness qualities Can of what it means oh, – hold on. Let me look at this out. Of what it means to be <laughs> – Hold on. There's more. What, what it means – like, what, like people that <laughs> – what it means to be an American – 
people will vote, and that person, uh, one time only, will spend a year being the head of the American state. They'll be the ones greeting foreign dignitaries. They'll be the ones inaugurating. <laughs> so that sounds Olympics. terrible. <laughs> they'll be the ones, and and they can, uh, and they'll have Beyonce essentially meets the queen. That's no, gonna go great. exactly. Yeah. They'll have no political uh, power other than a bully pulpit, a chance to sort of speak to the, to the American people. Um, and and then the next year comes and it passes on to somebody else. So think about that. that pi- <laughs> the chair recognizes. <laughs> think, think about that uh, pilot that landed uh, uh, the plane on the Hudson River. <laughs> Chelsea, 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 Sully Sullenberger. Yeah. 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 Couldn't you imagine him being the king of America for a year? No, we wouldn't call him the king of America. We'd call him because we don't do that kind of thing. We call him the first citizen. So he'd be the first citizen for Which a year. So Orwellian. Um, <laughs> and then, and then next, the next year might be Beyonce, and the next year might be Tom Hanks. Sam is and the next his year, hand, and he's been very. And the next year it might be Sam Mulberry. <laughs> it will never be Sam Mulberry. Okay, I love this idea. Unlike them, I'm Team Chris on this. Yes, but, but one year's not long enough. Yeah, it's not really. Close. You have to learn the job. Yeah. Like, like no, by the time they're elected, they're already like lame ducks. Like, yeah. you, you got, you got to have longer terms. Um, and I think re-election. I want as many people in there as I can. I think re-election's okay. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. is this not just like Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep? Like, that yeah. seems like a pretty good choice. I feel right. like I'd let them have. I'd let them have a multiple extended term. But wouldn't it be yeah. great if if after the the Olympics, like Simone Biles spends a year just being the Queen of America? Yeah, but we would have had Michael Phelps as King of America. Then. And that would be embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. Maybe, maybe I don't oh, know. Oh, we would have. Yeah, I don't trust fine. the American people to make a good choice. <laughs> I actually think yeah, we need a committee of people yeah. to make the choice, and that might include mm-hmm. some non-Americans on that committee. Sure, you know, like sounds kind of like the Electoral College, for example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, my envision, I'm not sure how you get started for the first few years, but after the first few years, I'd love the nominations to be the past the past holders of the office. Oh. Mm. I'm open to this. I would love to see your list of people. Yes. Yeah, I think so. You know, and this actually, there are versions of this, not quite um, this wide open. Um, but you know, I was looking at so one of the countries that does this is Israel, right? They also separate head of state and head of government, and mm-hmm. of course, they don't have a hereditary monarch um, available because they uh, they've lost track of the line of David. But um, <laughs> like, so um, they they went to elected presidents, right? And these were viewed initially as largely non-political, right? And so, mm-hmm. for example, the first one was like a really distinguished scientist, right? Who's, you know, someone who can kind of bring honor. this idea. But, but over time, guess where this went, right? It's become much more political, right? And in uh-huh. fact, um, their, their legislature chooses this person. And instead of it just being a kind of distinguished citizen, it's become increasingly somebody who is from a political party. Now, it's still, the office is still largely non-political and doesn't have much political say. Um, but they've increasingly chosen people who kind of made a long career in politics, and this was sort of a last honorary position. So, I mean, you'd think more about sort of Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell ending up as president because, you know, the legislature narrowly votes for them and says this is a good final honor for them before they, you know, transition to the retirement home or death, right? Um, and so, um, you know, that's basically what's happening. I mean, Shimon Perez, who had like a 65-year career, in you know elected politics finally transitions at the end right to right um you know serve as president and leaves office at something like the age of 90 or 91. um so you know that's that's kind of how it's went it's gone but they had seven-year terms to sam's point and i think 
you would want a longer term. I think a longer term. Yeah, you gotta have a longer term. I don't want to go more than one. At least otherwise, two. otherwise you have no attachment to this person. Like who's the president? I can't remember. Like is it Sully? Is it Beyonce? Oh, I, oh this would be um, like a big deal. Oh, like and we'd have and it would, we would divorce it from the normal electoral cycle. So it, it would be like January first. Like the ball drops and be, and Beyonce becomes. raising his hand again. He doesn't usually talk to his father. I am ceasing to be Team Chris as much as I was what? here on this. I love the idea, but but I really do think like. I, I guess I guess I care enough about America that I, I don't want to. <laughs> Unlike you're, some, <laughs> you're making too much of a joke of this. Like this seems like a kind of important job. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I don't think it needs yeah. to. Actually, I, I I really do think like greeting foreign dignitaries, yeah. things like that. Like it's I, I actually it's do important. think like yeah. like Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep would do a pretty good job yeah. of that. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I think so too. Right. Yeah. But I think America like, would look good in those encounters. Yeah, and it I would think literally like, look good. Right? Like like a ten, <laughs> like a like a seven year ten year term like. I think that would be okay. Plus, then yeah. for your sake, we would get the narrative cycle. Yeah. One yeah. year is just not that long. Yeah, because we have to fall in love with those people. We have to have questions about them. We have yeah. to go through all of this. Like, yeah, yeah. like I think yeah. I, I. Plus, mm, yeah, yeah. I, I like I you. The first time we do this, the reality show that is voting for this, uh-huh. you would love it. Yeah. Maybe the second one you'd love it. How many reality shows do you love ten years later? Right. Oh, see, I disagree with you. I think yeah. like I'm not a, I'm not a reality show person, admittedly, <laughs> but uh, Survivor has incredible staying power. Uh, the um, right, right, story. okay, but it has staying power. That's clearly the same. But thing. Survivor was a huge hit in the year two thousand. Yeah. It's still on the air, but it's not a huge hit in the same way. Most people don't watch Survivor. I think in 2000, it kind of felt like most people were watching Survivor. So we're talking 20 years into this project, and and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we got to go do this thing again. Plus, you're creating compulsory TV watching. No. But I have an idea. Like I want to. So I, I like the seven year idea, right? If we're gonna do this, I think seven years. I think you gotta have some kind of mechanism. Seven such a weird number. Seven is I know. Let's exactly. Do like four. No, no, four. No, four. No, four. We have we have a guy who gets four, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's a thing. Let's not replicate Fine. that. We want it to be seven. We'll stick with seven. So it's, it's, I like sounds, seven. It sounds like but seven. So, but then let me finish my idea here. Like July fourth is the day we announce this, person, oh, right? Because that, that's, that's brilliant. How more, that's how much a, I, I more totally American can you yep. get, right? Like I, it's beautiful. I totally agree with that. Right? I, my my only yeah. rationale for having it be a shorter term, and if you wanted to talk me up to two years or three years, I could deal with that. Seven. But the <laughs> the problem with that is. You get so few people over time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I oh, think okay. there's, there's a lot of different kinds of people okay. who exemplify traits that are really valued by Americans. And I'm pretty confident that we could put a slate of people up that would really be the kind of people we would be proud to put in front of the world as exemplary Americans. We, there would be and, too many flash-in-the-pan people that would be like, yikes. It would it would actually feel yeah. like looking back at the Oscars when you're like, I can't believe that movie won. I can't believe mm. – like, like I actually think – if it rolls over that much, especially if you have term limits, like you can only do this once, I feel like there's going to be years where we would be deeply embarrassed, and that yeah. one year would yeah. feel really, really. Yes, we're doing Billie Eilish this year, so kind of like, exactly. Right. So kind of like to Sam's analogy, right? Like you want the movie of the decade, right? Not yeah. just the one that captured this particular group this year. And then you look back several years later. Yeah, but you could get stuck with someone for seven years. But here's the thing. Exactly. No, 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 no. Keep in mind, this office doesn't actually matter politically for power, right? And if if we did it every year, we wouldn't care about it as much. If we did it every five years or seven years, it would be like, that's actually, okay, we actually do need to ramp this thing up and make a good choice. Mm -hmm. If we did it every year... It would get silly way quicker. Yeah, that's probably true. You're accelerating that, and we accelerate too many things in our culture, Chris. Right. All right. Yep. But it sounds like the over. 
I just feel like you give uh, someone in Hollywood five years, and in that time, people aren't going to love them in a couple mm. years. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, it, and it, uh, there's... <laughs> right? Like, people will fall. How many years place. have we given Tom Hanks? We've given him a lot, and he's paid us back pretty well. That's Meryl true. Streep, how many years have we given That's her, true. and she's paid but us back? But I would back. also love to see more the defense breakout rests. stars, like um, Kate McKinnon come in there. That would be fantastic, right? Yes. Um, like the lesser knowns. I just think if we had more, just a couple years. Right, but see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Tom and and Meryl can invite Kate McKinnon to these state dinners. Like the guests that they're bringing, their plus ones or plus sevens, like are going to be pretty great because we're pulling from that world. I think you just want a dictatorship with Tom Hanks. You could do worse. Uh, And Meryl (laughs) Streep, to be fair, you could do worse. Do you, but do you, I mean... All this is going to be is it's going to be like sports figures and Hollywood figures because that's who America venerates the most. It's going to be these Hey, people. I wanted a committee. It's going to be these I people. wanted a committee, not not a popular vote. Okay. I think you could do both. I think you do both. I mean, I think one way to think about this is to say it has to be somebody who gets like – maybe the committee involves some members of Congress and you have to have bipartisan support. And it's not just one like rogue Democrat or rogue Republican, right? But – so somebody who just kind of transcends politics, yeah. right? Yeah, no, uh, no write-ins. So something no, like that yeah. where yeah. you – and maybe they, yeah, they choose like three or four people, or right? Like and then that. those three or four go to a vote. Or maybe it's just two people, right, um, that go to a vote. But um, you have some mechanism whereby like you narrow it down. It's not just kind of wide open for whatever crazy whim of the moment people come up with. Um, there's some kind of vetting, but then the people get to have the say. And then, you know, this is our, again, our ceremonial figure who. Yeah, if, these, if there was a built-in stipulation that yeah. this person cannot have been, yeah. like, vocal about politics. Right. So, because there's so many sports right. figures and Hollywood right. figures that mouth off about politics yeah. who don't yeah. know beans about it. I think that's the challenge. Right? So, so, yeah. so, the, so if we're the committee, who's our shortlist? I mean, we can maybe end the show with this. Like, we're the committee. We're supposed to come up with four nominees for, um, for the shortlist Ooh. that we're going to have people Ooh. vote on. No, we're going to come up to collectively with four real quick here. Wow. Man. It's a big decision. Yeah. Jeez. I feel like I want to do a little more research. Yeah. I, I, w- <laughs> I, wouldn't pick, I wouldn't pick actors or sports figures. I would p- pick people who have actually done things that actually matter. How about so. American treasures like Tom Hanks? <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Streep. I mean, these people. I feel like in this room, Tom Hanks is kind of a consensus. Yeah, I mean, choice. honestly, like, like, like yes, I, I agree with you to a certain degree, but, like, there are people who – um, who are that and, and maybe transcend that in terms of the face we put on America. Um, so, like, I wouldn't say generally, yeah, I think an actor is a good choice, but I wouldn't also say there's no way that I would pick an actor. There are there are, sure. there are people that would be like, yeah, actually, that one's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe it encourages actors to start acting in different ways instead of, like, popping off about every last political thing that comes along, like, Hey, if I keep my mouth shut and focus on I might just being a popular king of America, America. I could be king of America, <laughs> and that would, you know what that would be a gain right there. I mean, I'm I'm partly it's in right true, there. Yeah. Might um, create an incentive. Yeah, there's this great line in um, the Get Smart movie that came out in 2009 where they're they're about to blow up LA, and they're like, you know, what will we do without all that cutting edge analysis from the actors? was <laughs> kind of funny. I just want to report a sentence that's never been uttered. Is there's a great line from that Get Smart movie from a few years ago. So Andy, congratulations for creating a new yes. sentence in the American yes. language. You're welcome. Maybe maybe listeners should write in with their votes for for uh, for King of Ooh, New York, like King it. of New York, yeah. King of uh, America. <laughs> is it New York, America? That's what Michael Bloomberg and Donald Trump. Well, they think. Sam. Like, it's All the right. same thing. Yeah, I want to come back to this. I want when we when we reconvene. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll just we'll throw this a tweet victory. I'm not sure. Oh. Um, but we need. Uh, I, want each of, I want each King of you to come with your three uh, your three pitches 
for um for so, for, the, for the slate. Do we get king and queen, or is it king yes. or queen? I think um, we need one. Uh, do we need it's a dual? One. It's a single monarch. It's, okay. Yeah. Unless you want to make the case for a married couple. Oh. Ooh. Well, I mean, like, like women sure married. Well, you could say like we choose the one, but then the other one we get the other one free. It's a buy one get one. Sure, that'd be fine. Right. <laughs> but but then of course. <laughs> Gets complicated when they um, don't stick together, as something exactly. happens in Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> all right, so we're all going to – listeners, feel free to email us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. <laughs> Maybe put the subject line, king or queen of America, and uh, we'll report back on this. Um, we're going to start doing this podcast a lot more regularly. You'll hear this in our feed uh, And most of it will be serious podcasts. Um, <laughs> not talking about this. Thanks so much for listening. On behalf of my colleagues, um, uh, you, uh, you can always get a hold of us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Until we hear from you. Go Royals.